Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program that features the lives of the saints and reflections on the Sunday readings, along with information on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Our program is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. Our interview segment today will feature Father David Rhodes. We will also get a glimpse into the life and times of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, along with reflections on the readings for this 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more on Wineskins. In our Life Issue segment, Father Jack Lavelle will talk about mental health. All human beings, regardless of what ailment they suffer, are made in the image and likeness of God, and we are called to love them as another self. As Pope St. John Paul II affirmed, in particular, that all who suffer from mental illness are also made in that image and likeness of our God. We are to remember that Christ is present in those who are sick. As we heard in Matthew 25, I was sick and you visited me. So as Catholic Christians, we are called to treat all who are ill, whether physically or mentally, as they were Christ himself. Pope St. John Paul II confirmed this when he said, Well, Christ took all human suffering on himself, even mental illness. Yes, even this affliction, which perhaps seems the most absurd and incomprehensible, configures the sick person to Christ and gives him a share in his redeeming passion. According to the social teaching of the Catholic Church, access to basic health care is the responsibility of everyone and an essential element of the common good. Another principle of Catholic social teaching is that the universal destination of goods dictates that the poor, the marginalized, and those who are in living conditions which interfere with their proper growth should be the focus of particular concern. This means that people with mental illness should be treated with a special form of primacy in the exercise of Christian charity, as they often and sadly are still marginalized and excluded. Pope St. John Paul II went on to say that we need to continue to seek a church that looks at these persons with special concern, as she looks at any other human being affected by illness. Pope Benedict XVI, in dedicating the celebration for the 14th World Day of the Sick in 2006, also mentioned that those who suffer from mental illness must be in the forefront of our thoughts. On this occasion, as he said, the Church intends to bow down over those who suffer with special concern, calling the attention of public opinion to the problems connected with mental disturbance that now afflicts one-fifth of humanity and is a real social health care emergency. He called for a new and better approach in dealing with mentally ill health issues, which calls for better medical treatment for all people, whether they suffer a physical or emotional illness. We must express the hope that a wider community will seek more understanding of people with mental health issues and those who care for them, as many are unpaid members of family and circle of friends, volunteers who offer their time and talent and treasure to care for those in need. It is everyone's duty to make an active response. Our actions must show that mental illness does not create insurmountable distances, nor prevent relations of true Christian charity with those who are victims. Indeed, it should inspire a particularly attentive attitude towards these people who are fully entitled to belong to the category of the poor to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs. 
in his apostolic exhortation to young people, Pope Francis recognized the desire of young people experiencing mental illness to live lives that are full and called upon the rest of the community to recognize their unique contributions. As he said, the desire to live fully and experience new things is also felt by many young people with physical, mental, and sensory disabilities. Even though they may not always be able to have the same experiences as others, they possess amazing resources and abilities that are often far above average. The Lord Jesus grants them other gifts, which the community is called to recognize and appreciate, so that they can discover His plan of love for each of them. Throughout history, Christians sometimes recognized mental illness for what it is. They loved and prayed for the sick and cared for them at home, in the parish, and in the first mental health institutions established by religious orders. But at other times, they misunderstood the psychological disorder or diabolical possession or moral failure. They failed to see that each and every person made in the image and likeness of God needs to be offered charity, care, and concern. Christians led the way in providing mental health institutions and services, but sometimes they shared in the widespread ignorance and prejudice towards people with mental illness, or those who unfortunately chose suicide. Nowadays, the Church understands that grave psychological disturbances, anguish, or fear can diminish the responsibility of one committing suicide, and the Church, at its best, champions the rights of the weak including psychologically frail or ill individuals, and it offers them friendship and a spiritual home. As we continue to recognize and address mental illness as a church, we need look no further than the communion of saints to guide us. So many holy men and women have walked the road of mental health challenges before us. St. Benedict Labre struggled with scrupulosity, a religious form of OCD. St. Jane Francis de Chantal suffered with depression. St. Mark Ji Tongzheng with addiction, and there are so many more intercessors that can shine a light for us. Together, we can dive deeply into the riches of the Church's compassionate teaching on mental health. Together, we can end the stigma around mental illness that isolates and shames. Together, we can build the Church that we are longing for. Come, let us join our hearts and hands together and seek health for all God's children. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jack Lavelle. St. Francis Xavier Cabrini was the first United States citizen to be canonized. To tell us more is Elena Chepke. She is from St. Joseph Church in Austintown. St. Francis Xavier Cabrini is the first citizen of the United States to be canonized a saint. The process began only 11 years after her death, and she was canonized on June 7, 1946. Born prematurely in Lombardy, Italy, she was baptized Francesca and from the age of reason, fervently desired to be a missionary. After applying to enter religious life in several communities and always being turned down because of her frail health, she was advised by her bishop to start a religious community herself. As a result, she founded the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart and received approval in 1889 by Pope Leo XIII to go to the United States where there were many Italian immigrants. Within a few months after the arrival of the first group of sisters, Mother Cabrini had already opened an orphanage and a school. 
she became a naturalized citizen in 1909, and during the remainder of her life, she founded a total of 67 charitable institutions and houses of her congregation. During her lifetime, she obtained a number of special favors through her prayers. She died in Chicago just before Christmas in 1917. The opening prayer of the Mass makes specific reference to the fact that Mother Cabrini went from Italy to the United States to serve the immigrants. Her heart had been set on going to China, but both her bishop and Pope Leo XIII had insisted that the missionaries of the Sacred Heart should work in the United States. Mother Cabrini traveled back and forth to Italy more than 25 times, bringing back other sisters for the ever-expanding apostolate. Our petition in the opening prayer is that from the example of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, we may learn concern for the stranger, the sick, and the frustrated. In spite of her poor health, Mother Cabrini was a veritable dynamo of energy. At the same time, she was a woman of deep prayer and union with God. Her motto was taken from St. Paul, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. The example of St. Francis Cabrini is especially relevant to Catholics in the United States today. Her devotion to the service of the poor, the underprivileged, and the sick should prompt many individual Catholics to become active in works of charity for the needy. Moreover, in view of the tensions and prejudice that foster racial injustice, Mother Cabrini can help us to see Christ in all the men and women we meet. The opening prayer reads, God our Father, you called Francis Xavier Cabrini from Italy to serve the immigrants of America. By her example, teach us concern for the stranger, the sick, and the frustrated. By her prayers, help us to seek Christ in all the men and women we meet. For Wineskins, I'm Elena Chepke. Joining me for Wineskins is Monsignor David Rose, who is the Pastor Emeritus of St. Christine Church in Youngstown. Welcome to Wineskins. Thank you. The last time we were together, what happened was we celebrated the 75th anniversary of the diocese, but we talked on our television show Spotlight. And this year now, we celebrate 80 years as a diocese. What I'd like us to talk about is you were ordained in 1965, and just three short years after that, the diocese celebrated its 25th. Yes. And then three short years after that, our second bishop, Bishop Walsh, passed away. So what was going on in those early years celebrating the 25th anniversary of the diocese in your recent ordination? Well, of course, the big event of 1965, besides my ordination to the priesthood, was the end of the Second Vatican Council. Mm -hmm. Uh, The council ended on December the 8th of that year, 1965, and from then on... The thrust of the church in this diocese and all over the world was to implement the decrees of the Second Vatican Council, which, of course, became the big goal of our diocese. So coincided with the appointment also of uh, Bishop James Malone as our third bishop. He was installed as bishop in 1968, so the second 25-year period of our diocese was taken up with the implementation of the council, the reforms of the 
liturgy, the reforms of all the sacraments, greater involvement of the laity through parish councils and all the various ministries of the church. That was the big thrust, and it was a time of excitement, time of great hope in the church, and of course I found it to be an exciting time because I was a newly ordained priest, and uh, the church I was going to serve was being renewed, and that was exciting. And of course you've had the opportunity to celebrate these many years of us being a diocese, 80 years now, and what in your experience or estimation has really changed or evolved with the Diocese of Youngstown? Well, if you look at the first uh, 25 years, it coincided with the first two bishops, Bishop McFadden and Bishop Walsh, and that was a period of great growth, expansion as new parishes were being founded. Almost every parish during those years following the war and the baby boomer time was involved in adding to a school or building a school. or So that was the big event of those years, the growth. And then, as I said, the second 25-year period was not so much for the growth in numbers, but the growth in the renewal of the church through the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. And then, of course, the last 30 years or so, with the leadership of Bishops Tobin, Murray, and now our Bishop David Vonner. It's a whole different time. Pine and the demographics changes that resulted as the fact that we have fewer priests and so on. Uh, that has created a whole different atmosphere than what the church we experienced in the first 50 years or so. What I'd like us to focus on now is kind of the movement of the spirit in all of that, because You know, we as church believe that the Spirit is motivating us, is moving us forward, is helping us build this kingdom here on earth. Why is it important for us to always be centered in that in light of the complexity of the issues that surround us, like the fewer priests, the fewer Catholics that we have, less people going to church on Sunday? Why is it important for us to kind of keep in mind that movement forward as we celebrate a significant anniversary in the Diocese of Youngstown? I think we're called to what uh, Bishop Bonner said in his recent pastoral letter. He makes the point and quotes Pope Francis in his encyclical, The Joy of the Gospel, speaks of the missionary option. And Bishop Bonner cites that and calls us to being a missionary church, a church of evangelization, evangelizing. And I think that's what we have to be about, individually as Catholics and, of course, as a diocese, as a community, acknowledging that we are a missionary church. We're called to be uh, disciples of Jesus, but we're also called to be apostles and to uh, be sent out to spread the word as in whatever way we can and according to our vocation and our role in life. What calls to mind is that missionary spirit that started first with Father Fenwick, then Bishop Fenwick, how he came probably on horseback and visited this area that we call Ohio. And so there's that missionary roots that we always go back to. Why is it important for us to have kind of one foot in the roots and the other one moving forward? Yes, well, it's an interesting history in that Though our diocese is 80 years old, it's really over 200 years old in terms of Catholicism here. Catholicism was first established in our area in the year 1817, 1818, 
when then Father Fenwick, the apostle to Ohio, a Dominican priest, was named the first bishop of Cincinnati. He was our bishop, and uh, he's the one who visited the Catholics that lived in the area, and uh, the formation of parishes and churches began to take place long before we were officially the Diocese of Youngstown. That's an interesting dimension of our history also. You know, in our last few minutes of our time together, perhaps what we can look forward to is the next 20 years. You and I may not be around for that 100th anniversary, (laughs) but why is it important for us to kind of look ahead and look to that future and lift up what our past has been? As you look back over the long history of the church, we've gone through all kinds of periods, periods of reform, periods of decline, periods of renewal. You know, some of the toughest times in the church were also times of great renewal. I'm thinking of going back to the 16th century when the Protestant Reformation took place and there was a lot of corruption and need for reform, and it happened. Great saints were raised up, people like St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Angela Merici and people like that. Extraordinary people were raised up. So it was a time of great trial for the church. It was a difficult time, but it was also a time of great grace. And so, as you said, the Spirit is alive and working, and we have to maintain that hope and assurance that this time is a challenging time, yes, but it can also be a time of great renewal as well. Father David Rhodes, Pastor Emeritus of St. Christine Parish in Youngstown, thank you for your presence on Wineskins and for sharing with us your recollections, but also your profound knowledge of the history that we celebrate today. And also, thank you for your priesthood. You are almost 60 years a priest, and so we thank you for celebrating that with us as church. Thank you. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. By the time we can walk, each of us yearns for the joy that comes from being able to do for ourselves. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Church World Service. 33 million Americans have descended into poverty. And as their futures fall, so does our nations. Our song today is from the CD entitled Table of Plenty. It is by John Michael Talbot. Bye. 
Our scripture reflections for this 30-second Sunday in Ordinary Time will be done by Deacon Kevin Bertleff. We get ready to do so many different things, different tasks. Some of the things we get ready for are often small. We get ready for school or work. We prepare for a test or presentation. We make arrangements for meals. We get the house ready for company. We get ready for a meeting, a phone call to exercise, and some of the things we get ready for are quite large. Ready to head off to college, ready to start a new job, to relocate to a new house, to go on a vacation, to prepare for a wedding, for a funeral. As with so many happenings in our lives, we have to be prepared. We have to get ready. We prepare for all these things, some because we want to, some because we have to, But how often do we plan for the Lord's second coming? How often do we prepare to be with him forever in the kingdom of heaven? We as a church in these late weeks of ordinary time are often summoned by the readings at Mass to get our hearts ready. The readings often focus on themes of end times, final judgment, and being prepared for Christ's return. 
It is fitting that we reflect on these themes as we prepare our hearts for the Advent season, a season where the church makes present the ancient hope of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, we renew our ardent desire for his second coming. Our gospel today expresses well that invitation to readiness. The bridegroom came, and those who were ready, those who had their flasks of oil, went into the wedding feast with him. While that sounds all well and good, the next verse ought to get our attention. Then the doors were locked. Those whose lamps were not prepared were left to their own unreadiness. Jesus then reminds his disciples and us today, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Are we ready? Are you and I ready for the Lord at any given moment, ready to stay awake in the faith and ready for the Lord's coming? We do not know the day or the hour, which is an invitation to us to always be prepared, to long for that day and be equipped for it at any moment. Are the doors of our hearts locked, or are they open and ready to invite the Lord in? If I'm being honest, sometimes it seems like I prepare for those little and not-so-little things in my life much more than I do for the Lord's coming. If you find yourself feeling the same, today we are being invited to genuinely ask ourselves, what keeps us from being ready for the Lord now? Are we awake enough, alive enough in our faith, that if he comes today, tomorrow, next week, next month, that we will willingly, readily, and eagerly go into the wedding feast with him. How then do we get ready? We can do so by always seeking to strengthen our relationship with God, turning to him in prayer, meditation, and by studying his word. We can have a heart of repentance, recognizing our own shortcomings, seeking reconciliation regularly, and forgiving the faults of others. We can remain vigilant in the faith, even when the world attempts to distract and tempt us away from a life of faith. May we run then to the Lord today, seeking his grace for that heart of readiness, that ardent desire for him and him alone. Stay awake, for you do not know the day or the hour. Are you ready? For wineskins, I'm Deacon Kevin Burliff. God doesn't frighten us into the kingdom. God invites us and promises us a wonderful future. God only asks that when Jesus comes with his offer of grace, that we are ready and prepared to receive it. The bottom line is, are we ready or not? Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Wineskins is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed Sunday, and may God be with you. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity. 
But for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.